let's uh, let's open in a word of prayer and then we can begin. Lord, we thank you for this time. We certainly thank you for your word. We ask that you'll open up its meaning to us this evening and help us to apply it to our lives because there is application here. Even though what we're going to study is still yet into the future, there's application for us now. We are grateful for that. We're thankful. So thanks to the people joined together today here, this evening, and uh, be with us and be glorified in our midst. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, amen. Revelation. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Revelation 10, New King James Version, and then we will get right into it. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Okay, there's, there's an awful lot in there. First thing we need to figure out here, or at least understand, is that what we're seeing in this chapter is... The first four verses talk about the appearance of this angel. And we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Verses 5 through 7 talk about the announcement from the angel. And then 8 through 11, and I only read up to 7, but 8 through 11 talks about the appropriation of the book. What does the book mean? How does it apply to John? What is John supposed to gain from it? So that's how this part of the... Uh, Actually, the whole chapter breaks down three sections. So, just to reiterate, chapter 10 introduces us, this is just about getting to the middle of the tribulation. There's a bit of a parenthesis here with this chapter. The Antichrist, during this time, coming time, will break the covenant with, you know, that, that he first confirms. And it's really interesting because it talks about in Daniel 9.27 that he shall confirm... The covenant with the many for um, the seven for the, for the one week, which turns out to be seven years. And what's interesting is about that terminology when it talks about confirming the covenant. It almost gives the impression. Some believe it gives the impression that there is a covenant that's already in existence. But when Antichrist rises to rule the world, instead of setting that covenant aside, he is going to confirm it. He's going to let it go forward, which is really interesting because if that's the case, you'll know, you notice when, uh, from history, when one empire goes in and conquers another one and then takes over, a lot of times they'll absorb that particular empire, the previous one. This is what happened in Daniel 2 with each of those 
main kingdoms leading up to the end. But often, they replace the laws and the covenants with their own stuff. But it seems like the Antichrist is going to confirm this covenant, which may already exist. And if you've been noticing the news lately, and again, we don't want to take the Bible and put it against the news, but what's interesting here is the new PM of Israel just basically went before the United Nations and said, you know, Israel is ready for a two-state solution. We need to have a two-state solution for the safety of Israel. Well, that's what uh, Netanyahu and others have kind of fought against. Mm -hmm. But now we've got this new PM in Israel who's saying, yeah, I think that's a good idea. So is there going to be a covenant? It looks like we could be heading in that direction. So, middle of the tribulation, though, is when the Antichrist breaks this covenant, and then he reveals himself and all of his satanic fury. And if you recall, um, he does this based on... It's very similar to what Antioch Epiphanes did in 168 BC, where he was coming back. He was he was rebuffed. He was going to try and take over and and harass Egypt. Rome was up and coming at the time, so individuals from Rome stopped him on the way and said, "Uh-uh, you're not you're not going to even try to harass Egypt. You better turn around and go back. If you do, if you keep going forward, you're going to have to deal with Rome." Because at that point, Egypt was friendly with Rome, and Rome was up and coming. So, Antioch Epiphanes, who, by the way, is in Daniel, unnamed, in, I think it's chapter, it's chapter 8, and it's also chapter 11. Even though they're unnamed, historically, it's fascinating. But um, he decides, okay, fine. So he turns around, back toward Egypt, heads back up to the beautiful land, but he's really, really angry as you can imagine, because he had designs on taking over um, Egypt. So he stops where Israel is, and stops in Jerusalem, and thousands of Jews, thousands of Jews were destroyed by him. And that's when he went in, at that time in 168 B.C., and basically desecrated the temple by going into the Holy of Holies, set up... Uh, a statue of Zeus and some commentators like Josephus even say he took a mask of his own face and put it over Zeus's face of the statue and demanded that all the Jews worship that statue. So it fully desecrated the temple, as you can imagine. And so that's what happened then. That gave rise to the Maccabean Revolt, which is fascinating. You can read about that in First and Second Maccabeans. But... What's interesting is, as Christ re, re, uh, relates to us in Matthew 24, this Antichrist is going to do the exact same thing that the Antiochus Epiphanes did in 168 B.C. He's going to do the exact same thing, except he, as Paul explains in 2 Thessalonians 2, will waltz into that Holy of Holies, the rebuilt temple, whatever it happens to look like, or however big it happens to be at the time, um, and then he will literally sit down in there and demand to be worshipped. It won't be a statue. They'll do the statue a bit later. But it will be him, and he will demand to be worshipped because he will say, I am God. So that's why he will not break this covenant in the beginning, but will confirm it, and then later on will break the covenant by desecrating the temple. And the 168 B.C. situation became known as 
the abomination that desolates. That's the way the Jews described it. That's what Jesus called it in Matthew 24. And that's what Paul is referring to in 2 Thessalonians 2. He's referring back to Antiochus, but ahead to the Antichrist. So there was anti... Excuse me. It's hard to say their names. Antiochus Epiphanes was a major type of Antichrist. Major in the Old Testament. So, he reveals himself in his satanic theory. At that point, they will know, they will know, the Jews will know that they've been totally duped. You might want to check it. I bumped it. Oh, okay. I think we're good. So, that's what happens there with the Antichrist. And that's, the Jews will also then... Um, start running to the hills and try and outdistance his fury. And we'll get into that in a little bit, uh, chapter or two. But also during this time, the two witnesses minister during the first three and a half years, and the Jewish remnant is protected by God during the last three and a half years. So it's really a fascinating situation. The remnant of Jews, the remnant of Israel, they're the ones who go and escape, and many commentators believe that they wind up going to Petra, where that fortified city existed. So why, because I, I guess in my mind I had that the two witnesses were at the last three and a half years. Well, they're kind of in the middle. Okay. We talk about them next week. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, the beast, the, the way I understand it is, it's kind of like, they're kind of like a segue between the okay. first half and the I, second. I have no idea why I had that in my mind. Oh, I was just wondering. It's okay. You know, okay. you know, we'll get to heaven and we'll go, man, we really got all that wrong. I know, we? right? <laughs> yeah, we will. Yeah. But we try. Yeah. We try. <laughs> um, but the most important thing about studying all of this, as far as I'm concerned, and I know you all agree with me on this, is the application for us today, which we're going to get into a little bit, too. And, and I've tried to stress that from the beginning. Whether we agree on every aspect of this or right. whether the Bible is 100% clear to us on every aspect of it, the application for us really is all the same. And that's about how we, what we are in the world, how we are to view the world, how we are to proceed while we're living in the world, and how we are to live so that those people who are next to us, lost and dying, are hopefully impacted by the way we live. So... The beast is given worldwide authority during these last three and a half years. So what's interesting here is, to me, the first three and a half years, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Because ultimately I believe it's going to be a worldwide kingdom. But I don't think it's going to be, I could be wrong, I don't think it's going to be necessarily worldwide the first three and a half years. It's going to take some time to get there. But ultimately he is going to be given full global authority. And that will fulfill Satan's desire to, you know, in essence, kind of be like the Most High in the sense that he's able to be a global king. But we all know it's short-lived, and he's still going to have limited power. So, during this last three and a half years, Satan is also cast to the earth and he persecutes believers. Now, what's interesting about this one, I think, and I know that people, here's another one that people disagree about. Well, wasn't Satan cast to earth a long time ago? Some people believe that. Um, they, they go to Jesus' words and he go, I saw Satan fall like a star, right? 
And we don't really know if he's talking about the fact that Satan fell at that point, because obviously Jesus was there when he did, or if he's talking to a future point when he is just totally, as John tells us, cast out of heaven completely and unable to be able to go back and forth to God's throne. So we don't really know, but it's, it's interesting. At this point, though, he is cast to earth, and going before God and God's throne is off-limits to him at that point. And so now he's really, really angry. He knows now that his time is exceedingly short at this point. So because of that anger, which for him is hatred of us people, because we're made in God's image, he just goes after. And the ones he focuses on completely, or mainly, are believers. Well, it says, the Bible says that. that exactly. I mean, the, you know, the, the woman. Yeah, we'll get to that one yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. So. That's an interesting chapter. Jerusalem is trodden down by Gentiles for three and a half years. So, this is going to happen. Jerusalem, you know, they're, they're going to enter into this covenant because they think it's going to give them peace, but it's not going to give them peace. It'll only look like peace. Peace and security, but it's not really. And then it's, it's really all going to backfire. And you know what? It's no different, except in one sense it's different. But if you look at all the times Israel was judged in the Old Testament, you look at that cycle, it, it is continual. It is continual. The difference between all those little cycles, if you will, and this one, is that this one is the final one. This one is the one where God will use um, all of the wrath that he's pouring out to take from Israel a final remnant. So, there's a slight parenthesis where we're going right now in chapter 10, uh, between the 6th and the 7th trumpets. The 7th trumpet is really not starting until, I guess it's chapter 11. Yeah, seventh trumpet doesn't start till verse fifteen of chapter eleven. But for the for now, ten one through eleven fourteen, this is the parenthesis, and this is where the two witnesses appear. So it's it's kind of segueing the t- the time between the the first half, the second half, the middle of the, pr- the the tribulation. So the seventh trumpet, as we mentioned last time, introduces the seven vials or the bowls of wrath of God, and. Again, I'd like to emphasize, we don't know how quickly they're poured out. They're most likely chronological, but they could be like this. Or they could be this. No idea. If you talk to ten commentators, they might have ten different opinions. So, But that's okay. The last three and a half years of the tribulation will begin with the seventh trumpet. So, here's the appearance of the angel. Now, it's interesting because I was reading, just to get more familiar with this again, I was reading a number of commentators, and some of them believe that the mighty angel here is none other than Jesus. Now, it's totally up to you what you want to believe. I don't see it like that. I don't want to offend anybody who might see this as Jesus, but there's a couple of reasons in my mind why it's not Jesus. But again, some of the arguments I read from some very good conservative scholars are convincing in a way. But my biggest issue is that the evidence points to another angel. The text says, I, st- I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. If it was Jesus, 
I'm pretty sure John would have recognized him. That's just my take well, on it. it. The angels are way below Jesus. Yeah. Right. There. So I, I just don't believe that could be Jesus. Right. And and since it says, the text says, another mm-hmm. mighty angel, the, the Greek here means basically another of the same kind as the previous. Right. But Christ is described as an angel in other contexts. He is. He is. I mean, it's just context. a word. It is, well, it is a word, but it's a word that that is used. Uh, well, and so are human beings. Um, there's some argument that says, you know, the letters to the church is right to the angel of the church of Sardis, that, and, and a lot of people believe those were actually referring to the pastors of those churches. So, right. you know, but a lot of it depends on the context. My issue with this is that two things, as I said, I think John would recognize. If this were Jesus, um, unless his face was so blindingly blindingly light and white that he didn't recognize him. But also, when the text itself says, I saw, John saw another mighty angel. It, it just, to me, seems like, oh, it's another one of what he saw before, but mightier. That's just where I stand on that. I'll fall on it. Um, but we don't have to dwell on that. The description of the angel is he was wearing a crown, was a rainbow, symbol of God's faithfulness, and mercy, just like the rainbow before it was hijacked by certain groups, were it was basically a sign of God's faithfulness and His mercy. You know, so when you look up in the sky and you see a oh, sorry, oh, okay, I apologize. No, no, no. no. I was wondering what. Just shut it off. <laughs> so you know, a crown was a the rainbow was a symbol of God's faithfulness and His mercy, and that still holds true. That still holds true, even though there are certain groups who would like to see the rainbow as associated with something else. Yeah. We can't do it. I can't do it. The face was radiant, reflecting the glory and majesty of God. Feet and legs were fiery. The pillar of fire in the wilderness is kind of represented, reminds us of that, manifesting God's holiness, mercy, and judgment. And the angel's voice announces judgment. God is going to work speedily to finish his purposes. I mean, imagine this at this point in the tribulation. We're about at the middle. It's going to really get bad here. And the angel is guaranteeing that it's going to get finished quickly. Nothing will interfere with God's purposes, and certainly nothing's going to keep him from it. Now, the scroll itself, this one is open versus the previous one from chapter 5, which was sealed with seven seals. This one is open. This is a scroll of prophecy, kind of like the other one was, of course. But this is also what's been foretold by prophets, as it says in verse 7. It says, um, if I can find it here, where are you? But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. That's referring all the way back to and including the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, everything those guys prophesied about the end days is going to come to pass. So the angel raises his hands and he confirms there's going to be no delay no longer. It's not going to slow. The final part of this process is going to go. It's going to move ahead. It's going to happen. You know, it's funny. I don't know what it is, but 
I've been reading a number of articles and stuff like this, and major economists, these guys are not fly-by-night economists, they're, they're saying, they're warning that what's coming is going to be basically what destroyed Rome. Similar. Mm-hmm. Just like it. You know, it's funny, I used to be worried about all this stuff, and I've gotten to the point, it's like, well, you know, Sylvia and I have done everything we can. I don't know what, what else to do. You folks have probably done the same thing. So, is it going to be like Elijah and the widow, where, you know, we have what we have, and God will extend it? He's going to bless us in other ways? I don't know. There's only so much we can do. I only have so much money. Maybe some of you have a lot more. But I don't know, there's only so much I can do as far as prepping and well, getting money things. Money might be no good. Exactly. That's you the know, other part of the problem. point of hyperinflation. Yeah, I know. And you, you know... I don't even know what that looks like. And I was talking to my wife. We watched a show on the, <laughs> the Depression, and I thought, I wish right. I had asked relatives who are dead now. I saw one in Germany where they said that literally the, the, the price of things would change so fast that when people went in stores to shop, that by they got the time they had a calculator built on the cash register to raise the price while you were in the store. Wow. That's how bad it could get yeah. percentage. Yeah. The, the, the German government was just printing money on purpose. Yeah. Uh, well, is that ours doing the same thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's how they're financing the, the government. Well, yeah. It's just to print money, create money. Well, and it was really hilarious, you know, Trump wanted $5 billion to finish the wall, and Congress is like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. That's way too much money. <laughs> and all of a sudden now we have a new president, and there's war in Ukraine, so sending them $40 billion, $50 billion, twice, three times, four times over, plus $100 million in military equipment. That, that's, oh, it's needed. We need to do this. It's like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, but it's just, all of it is just printing money. Yeah, all of it's printing A lot of what is happening is designed to... It's co- to cause it, to yeah. cause a collapse oh, of the economy. Oh, I agree. That yeah. way, the reset, you know, yeah. this whole reset that everybody's talking about. You can't go smoothly. You can't, yeah, you can't <laughs> reset unless no. there's just... There has to be destruction. Yeah. Away. Yeah. A sweeping away yes, of absolutely. Uh, that's what I think, and I know that people call me a conspiracy theorist. But <laughs> if you look at history... That's the way it happened every time, except it was usually done militarily. So one empire would come in and conquer another empire. They didn't just come in and go, hey, you guys want to give up? Oh, sure, we'll give up. No, there was usually war, conquering, pillaging, destruction, fire, everything, chaos. And then the empire that won would come in and take whatever they wanted and rebuild or not or do whatever they wanted. And so that's the way it's always been. And I think they're smarter today because they knew that couldn't really happen. So then they took another route, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And they thought, I know, we'll make everybody live in fear of this. And we'll see how much they obey. And then while they're doing that, we can lock down the economy, we can destroy the supply chain, we can, the whole bit. And that's basically what happened. That's kind of, that's the short view of what I think is happening. But, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, that's one way to do it. So the angel raises his hand, confirms there won't be a delay. Presently, there is delay. This, this is something that we all need to be focusing on. I mean, really, God is delaying because He still wants people to repent. He still wants people to receive salvation. His mercy is still being extended. 
And sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I am not as cognizant of that as I should be. I'm, I'm focused on, okay, Sylvia, are there other big ticket items we need? What do we need to do? Do we need to get this set? And I need to realize that in this space of time, while things are preparing, God is still delaying so that people can repent. And, and I need to be a willing voice and a, and a willing vessel to bring the truth to people who don't know it, you know, like Mark emphasizes, I'm glad he does, so that they at least have the opportunity to repent and receive salvation. So, this will be happening also during the tribulation. But during the part of the tribulation we're talking about right here, time is, is quickly running out for people. Mm -hmm. It is quickly running out for people. And mystery in verse 7, we all know what a mystery is. Paul revealed a number of mysteries. They're hidden truths from God, that's all. God didn't want to reveal it until a specific time. Why? Because whatever he revealed to us, he revealed to Satan. So he decided, well, I'm keeping this one close to my chest. I've got Paul coming up here. Yeah, I'll, uh, in about, what, 30, 40 AD, I'll tell him. He can write it down then. But there's a lot that they did not understand or know in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. But a mystery is simply a hidden truth from God that he reveals in his own way, in his own time. And specifically what's going to happen here in verse 7 is that it reveals what will occur so that the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdoms of Christ. And we need to always remember this. Um, this is borne out very good, very well in 11.15, which we didn't get to yet, but let's look at it real quickly. Well, no, we're not. We don't want to get ahead. But we'll talk about that next time. But ultimately, everything God does during the tribulation is designed to usher in the kingdom of Christ. Everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. And God will correct all wrongs. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get fed up reading about all the stupidity and garbage and immorality and everything else that we read about. And it's just, it boggles your mind and you sit there and you go, okay, when, Lord? But, you know, here's the earth. It's not flat, but it's round. But, of course, God is outside the earth. Everything in here is governed by time. Everything out here is governed by eternity and God. So, is that where Peter gets this idea that a day thousand years with the Lord is like a day, a day like a thousand years. Why? Because it's always, always, all before God at the exact same time. So for him, you know, time is a drop in the bucket, but he sees it all as it happens. Alright, John is told to eat the scroll, verse 9. In verse 8 it says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. <laughs> Imagine John here. There's this big mighty angel. Tall, probably. One foot on land, one foot on sea. John has to go up to him and say, Give me the little book. And so he does. And the angel says, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And that's exactly what happens. It'll be sweet to the taste, be bitter to the stomach. God's Word is our food. You know, when you read this book, there's a lot in here that can 
be sweet to the taste. I mean, what Mark was talking about this morning in Hebrews, it's like, one day we will no longer be sinners at all, ever. Do you ever wonder? I do. Do you ever wonder? I wonder how many times I sinned today and didn't even realize it. You ever do that? Way more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and isn't it great that God doesn't tell us everything? (laughs) But there will be a day when that won't even be possible. We won't sin in thought, word, or deed. That won't even be possible. So that that's part of the sweetness of the gospel, our eternal salvation. But there's a lot in God's word that is kind of bitter, that causes sorrow, and that's when we see all people around us dying, who don't know Christ, who think they have all the answers, who think they have it all. I have a friend of mine, I, I played drums for years, and a friend of mine is a really, really good guitarist. And uh, I used to do recordings for him. He would send me the tracks via computer. I'd, I'd put the recordings down on my laptop and send them back, and he'd put out an album, and it was just a lot of fun. And I knew the guy. I'd tried witnessing to him a couple of times over the years. He, was, um, he wasn't an atheist. He was spiritual, new age yeah, yeah. spiritual, yeah. And he was a nice guy. Which is just the occult with all the blood sacrifices kind of taken out of it. Yeah, and he's a nice guy. And then I sent him a text one day through Messenger. Didn't hear back, so I sent him another one. Didn't hear back. And then a couple of months later, I hear, <laughs> I forget how, he had died. He was just a little bit older than I was. And uh, apparently he had died from COVID. He was in the hospital or something. And I went back and I found out exactly when he died. And I looked at when I had sent those messages to him. And I sent my first one two days after he died. And then the next one about a week later. But I didn't know. And it was just really sad because I had been praying for the guy. I tried to talk with them. It's very difficult, as I'm sure you know, talking with people who are new agey. And they, they are honestly, they actually feel sorry for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we, we are so narrow in our focus and in our thinking. And, and it is really hard. I know you know it's hard to get through to them. But God's Word is our food. We must eat, receive knowledge before we can appropriate and live by it. This is exactly what John's doing. Metaphorically, he's, he ate the scroll, but we metaphorically eat God's Word every time we read it, study it, pray over it memorize it, contemplate it, and then live our day. So that's what John was doing. And the good news, of course, of his word is salvation. So that's the sweet part. And the bad news is the eternal separation for all who fail to gain this because they don't have the faith for it. So John is being told more judgments on the way. It's coming. It's coming. So, he was also told he must continue prophesying or preaching the truth of God's revelation, whether he wanted to or not. And that's, I think that's becoming very difficult today um, for the preacher, kind of like Mark, who wants to remain true to God's Word. It's difficult to keep on preaching that, the truth of God's Word, in a world that increasingly looks at people like us as... You know, feel sorry for those people. I mean, unless they get on your nerves, then hate them. But they just don't have patience for us, and I think their patience is becoming less and less. 
So, um, John was being told, you've got to keep preaching. You've got to keep prophesying. You've got to keep telling the people that you've come in contact with the truth that's being revealed to you. The truth that's being revealed to you, you've got to keep doing it. Now, what we'll get into eventually here in Revelation 16 is Satan, meanwhile, will be stirring the nations up and getting them ready for the Armageddon. But all this is happening in the background, just like right now. We've got all this stuff happening in the, in the background, and we're kind of wondering, well, when's the other shoe going to drop here? I keep hearing about hyperinflation and this, that, and the other thing, and I'm sure it's going to happen. When? When? So the closer it gets to this time, the harder Satan's going to work. So next time we're going to do Revelation 10. But before we get in there, just do me a favor real quick. Turn to Micah. I want to go through this real quickly, if you don't mind. There's just three things I want to point out. And the reason I'm, I'm doing this with Micah, it's Oba, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah in your Old Testament. Um, the reason I'm doing this is because it seems to segue in, into so much right into what we're discussing here. So I, I just want to break down jo, um, Micah for you real quickly. What chapter? Um, we're going to go actually through all of them real quickly. Okay. Judgment is coming. This is Micah. And if, this does, if what I'm telling you here doesn't remind you of today, it should. So chapters 1 and 2 of Micah basically deal with judgment is coming. Judgment on Israel is coming. And you'll remember probably that at, during Micah's time, he was a contemporary of Isaiah, and during Micah's time, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. Jerusalem was still the capital of um, the southern kingdom. So, of Judah. So, here's Micah. He stands up and he says, look, chapters 1 and 2, your sins are too great, and here they are, the sins of covetousness. You're using illegal means to fulfill your desires, and we should mourn, but instead, you're not mourning, you're totally happy, you are enjoying what you're doing, even though it takes advantage of your brother, and then because of what Micah was saying, the people tried to stop him from preaching. They said, look, you need to stop speaking, dude. You know why? Because God's not going to do that to us. That's what they were basically telling him. And the false prophets during that time, it seems like there's always false prophets. We have them today. They're not prophets. They're just liars. False prophets preached lies. So that's one and two. Judgment is coming. That's what Micah's whole thing was about. First two chapters, judgment is coming. Chapters 3 to 5, the deliverer is coming. So there's a message of hope, but Micah condemns the wicked rulers, the false prophets, and the priests. Why? Because they were taking such advantage of the people. Do we have that going on today? Look at many politicians. Look at the kings of the world. Look at the elite, these billionaires. All they're doing is transferring wealth to them. They're going to do that again when we have this whatever fallout's going to happen. They're going to get wealthier, not that they need any more money. So this is what happens, and the prophets preached what people wanted to hear. This was during Micah's day. It made people feel good. It made people feel good. So that's what they preached, and the people liked it. Chapters 6 and 7, Micah says, look, folks, you need to trust the Lord. We need to get back to God. God presents His case, just like in a courtroom, and the verdict. And He demands to know the case against Him 
He's basically saying to the Israelites, what have you against me? Where have I failed you? And so God says, repentance is the only way. And then Michael laments that he cannot find, in, verse, in chapter 7, 1 through 10, he can't find an honest man in Israel. That's pretty sad. But Micah trusts the Lord. If judgment is coming, Micah will be patient. And God promises to restore after judgment. The end of this part, by the way, the last section of Micah, is dealing specifically with the tribulation and the judgment that's going to be poured out on the world and Israel because of the tribulation. And then the closing verses, 7, 18 through 20, reflect God's goodness and faithfulness and mercy. And because of this, there's no good reason not to exercise faith in Him. And I think John has the same kind of message. I really do. And it's easy, at least for me, to get kind of feeling like overwhelmed by what's going on in the world sometimes. But I have to keep coming back to God is faithful. His mercy endures forever. He will guide me through it. So, anyway, that's Revelation 10 and Micah, and next time we'll do Revelation 11.